In today's world, each and every one of us are inundated with a gazillion stories a day, whether it's on social media or on TV or the, the movies, books, the, the world is full of stories. And if you have a story to share, whether it's from your personal life or whether it's for your business or for a nonprofit or whatever the case may be, the idea of telling a story that breaks through the noise may be and feel like a daunting task. How do you tell a story that stands out? Well, today I brought on another good friend of mine onto the show. His name is Nick Nanton. He is the winner of 15 Emmy Awards and counting for his documentaries and shorts. He has, uh, I believe, made 70 or so documentaries and is one of the most respected filmmakers and storytellers today. So Nick and I sat down and had a conversation about what stories stand out, how to become a better storyteller, and when you might need some help telling your story. Let's dive in. I'm John Morrow, and this is Break Through the Noise. podcast about rising above all the noise out there, all the endless ads and content and notification and get people to pay attention to you. Not just for a moment, not just for one poster video. On this podcast, you'll learn how to create lifelong fans who hang on to every word so you never have to break through the noise again. So Nick, so glad to have you on the show. It's great to be talking about one of our, I think both of us are fascinated by stories. So oh, it's, it's great to have you on here. So great to be on. Thanks for the, thanks for the invitation. I can't wait uh, for a fun discussion. Yeah, I mean, in preparation for this interview, I mean, it's funny, you and I got introduced by a friend just like it was sort of a random thing. Yeah. At uh, at the Driscoll Hotel in Austin. Yep. And we started talking, and since then we've talked about maybe working together, and also, um, I mean, just gotten to know each other a little bit better. And in preparation for this interview, though, like I went out and started googling you, and like, and and found your book and read your book, um, and that gave me even more backstory into just how much work you've done with storytelling. So I, I, I couldn't wait to, to talk with you because you've been so successful with it. Oh, thanks, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's always a journey, but uh, hey, man, uh, I'm, I'm glad when I get to talk about it because much like yourself, it's sort of my life's work. So I'm so happy to talk about it. Yeah, so, I mean, you talk about in the book how, which is story selling, I mean, great book. I think I got it for free on your website, which was cool. Yeah, um, it's available yeah, for but, free uh, on the, any of our websites, but nicknanton.com if anyone wants to grab it. Awesome. So in your book, I mean, you, you talked about how storytelling is wired into, into the human brain. I mean, so while one side of our brain is doing things, the other side of our brain is literally making up a story about why we did it. So on some level, Everyone understands storytelling, but I mean, I'm guessing that pre-wired knowledge is only the beginning. I mean, so anyone can tell a story, but would you say that not everyone knows how to tell a good story? How much, how much skill is involved with storytelling? Uh, yeah, man, a lot, I think, over time as, as I'm still learning how to, because uh, every story has to be told differently, right? It, I mean, although there's certain devices and schemes and ideas and plot lines that you that repeat, I mean, every story just has to be told differently. So, for instance, right now, I mean, I've I've spent the majority of my time, really, the last ten years, uh, storytelling, really in two ways. One is through documentary films, and one is through songwriting. So, I, I still have a I'm a published songwriter in Nashville. I write a lot of country and pop music and I'm fascinated by that because you get like you get two and a half to three minutes to tell a story 
and three times you're going to repeat the same thing over and over again. So you really get, you really get a total of like 12 lines to tell a really emotional story or micro story. So that's really fun. But then I spend majority of my time in documentary films and, you know, right now I'm making two films on human trafficking and I'm making uh, another film on uh, technology and, and the, the future of, of of humanity essentially and how technology intercedes with that um and i'm making a movie on adaptability i've got uh, like 13 projects in play right now i'm, I'm finishing up an eight-part series on james altucher uh based on him and his book and his podcast called choose yourself and look like james's story of sort of this like a really different brand of of self-help and self-discovery that story has to be told completely differently than the story about human trafficking and so it really just, you know, again, I told you before we got started, I typically answer these questions. Most of the time, people never ask me the same question twice. Well, they're good questions anyway. And so I just sort of formulated it as I think about it. I've never really thought about it this way before. But, you know, the, the key to all of these stories is, number one, like getting into the story. So it's sort of like someone told me a long time ago, hey, Nick, if you have a product or service and it's your job to sell it, and you're not super excited about it, you should just say no and not sell it. Like maybe find someone else who is excited about it or maybe just don't sell it at all. But if you are selling something you're not super excited about, just don't sell it. And I'd, I'd say the same thing about a story. If you are telling a story that you are not super amped up about, it's either time to tell a different story. Uh, well, it's probably that. It's time to tell a different story. And so all of us, you know, the way I started out in the storytelling business was in my sort of personal branding agency and, you know, I told the same story the same way for the better part of a decade, but I noticed about five or six years in, I just was bored of telling that story, but my origin story was so important. I mean, everyone's origin story is so important for people to understand why they would even listen to you. Um, why are you the one who can help them solve their problem? And I had this really interesting um, sort of clash with myself of like, well, I know I need to tell my origin story, but I'm just really bored of telling this story. And then I realized that the reason I'm really bored of telling that story is because my story had evolved so much that that wasn't the story I really needed to be telling anymore. I needed to tell a story and a version of my origin story, but it had so many new pieces to it and so many more exciting things to it that I needed to, I needed to reshape the way I told that story. And so I would go back and say, sort of to answer your initial question, is there a lot of skill and what does it take to learn how to do that? Um, I think it takes, I mean, this is from my point of view, it takes a lot of trial and error. And so for me, I love having, you know, great conversations with fascinating people. And so in order to, in order to learn what resonates with my story and what makes people light up, I really, the only way I know how to do it is by, is by talking to people about it and sharing my story with others and letting, inviting other people to share their story with me. And, and it becomes pretty evident. I mean, most people will talk about marketing for a second, then I'll shut up. But Russell Brunson says it really well, like, a lot of people create a webinar or create a script or this thing and they, they write it all up. They get excited about it. They record it. And then they try to, they try to automate it. And he's like, you probably shouldn't automate that thing until you've done it a hundred times. Yeah. You're like over and over and over again, because there's so much magic in the minutia in the timing, in the, in the presence of it all. When you've done it a hundred times and the parts that are second nature to you, well, you get so good at telling the story that you're, that you're no longer focused on the storytelling. You are doing, you're telling the story and your natural gifts will come through the story because you now know the story and have told it so many times that it allows your gifting to show through as opposed to the first or probably the first 20 times you tell the story, um, you're trying to remember the story. And so that's a long roundabout answer, but that's what I think of when you ask the question. So I mean, to, to summarize, I guess what you're saying is, it's, it's about repetition. Not only telling more stories, but telling the same story multiple different ways. And I mean, yes. so what are you paying attention to when you're telling a story to you know if it works or not? Are you paying only attention to other people? Or are you paying attention to yourself and how you feel about that particular story? Uh, great question. Um, it's always important to be, to sort of pay attention to where you're, how you're feeling, if you're feeling worried about something or you're like, it's not going or self conscious about it, it's not going to come across well, but mm -hmm. usually, but you know, as long as you're staying sort of in a space that's true to yourself, I think it's okay to be 
self-conscious of the fact that maybe I haven't done this a lot before. I don't speak a lot publicly or I don't, I don't normally tell the story, but some of that will just be jitters of getting it out. I, so I tend to pay attention to the response, the reaction. So, you know, it, it, it becomes very evident very quickly what people pick up on because if you tell your story five or six or seven times, um, you'll find there's multiple elements that people will will ask you about afterwards. So like, you know, I'm, I'm from the island of Barbados and my family's been there for 300 years. And so typically that will come up. One of the things I want to talk about my story when I went to law school um, and I passed the bar exam, I'm still a licensed lawyer in the state of Florida. And people, it always comes up like, hey, so wait a second, how did this happen? You're a lawyer. I'm not, I don't know you as a lawyer or that you have a law firm. <laughs> you're a documentary director and producer and like a speaker and an author like how so so that comes up so i i tell a lot in my story like how i ended up going to law school why i wanted to go to law school and I, when i went to law school i had no intent of ever practicing law i just knew it would be a great skill set to have if i wanted to run businesses and be in the entertainment business and so it, it becomes these things that make you different than everybody else but making but making them make sense to the listener so that instead of having uh, instead, of it, instead of it not making sense, it's like, oh man, that's fascinating. And so, you know, I always say too, like when you're, if you're in sales or, I mean, this could apply to a lot of things, but you really have two jobs. You have to be interested and interesting, right? And so you can't be just all about yourself and you can't be more. And so you will find the things that are interesting to people because if you're having a conversation for the point of engaging someone, and again, this could be for selling someone, but it, let's just put it this way. Even if we're not making a monetary sale, I mean, we are trying to, we're constantly trying to sell people on what we are doing or trying to get them on our boat. And so, so you have to be engaging them. So what are you trying to, you're trying to be interesting. You're trying to convince them that your story makes sense. And that, you know, and again, if you're trying to have them work with you or hire you or whatever, you want them to realize, you want them to have this epiphany during the conversation. It's like, this is my person and this is the only person that can, this is the perfect person to solve my problem or dilemma because of their experiences and what they've shared with me. They get me and their experience sets them apart from everybody else. So clearly I'm going to work with them. And that, the, the feeling of, of someone getting you and just resonating with a story. I mean, it seems like a lot of that reaction from other people is is about how much your story i mean how do i say this your story and their story intertwine or how your story represents their story would you say that's true how would you put that yeah there's something we talk about in the book called transportation and it's this idea that when you're reading a book or watching a movie and you put yourself in the shoes of the other character and you sort of develop an empathy for them. I, you know, one of the shows that a lot of people watch, I had to stop watching. It just made me too nervous, too anxious. What was uh, Breaking Bad? Did you ever see, did you ever watch that show? I had to and, stop watching it too. It actually made me jittery whenever I would I, watch that show. I, I just didn't enjoy the process. Brilliantly done. But so you have, you know, this main character who, who you don't, they get you to understand why he's selling meth, which is a bizarre thing. They make him likable, right? And then, and then he constantly makes these stupid mistakes. You're like, oh, you're such an idiot. Like, I was just falling for you. And so the storytelling is so, I mean, the tension they've created is so brilliant. But yeah, you, transportation is putting yourself in the shoes of someone else. So they, you sort of write off the fact that, okay, well, I shouldn't be selling meth. You sort of put yourself in the shoes and you're like, all right, so if I were selling meth, like, which is a, a huge bridge to cross. But yes, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get other people to, to resonate with you. You know, there's, it's sort of like, I don't know, there's, there's people you jive with and people you don't. And that's just life. And they say a lot of times, you know, Dan Kennedy says, you know, those of you who know, sort of the marketing guru, you know, the rate at which you repel is the rate at which you attract. No matter, no matter which side of the political fence you're on, I think everyone could agree that Trump has nailed this. Like yeah. the people who he repels, like just cannot stand him. And the people who he attracts, like, he's like the second coming right and i think both of those you know both of those views and a lot of a lot of that could use a lot of help but it's just that's that's the way it works and so 
I think as you're trying to tell your story, well, just understand that certain people are never going to, you're just never going to vibe with certain people. And I don't know, you know, people like talk about frequencies. I don't get all that, but I know pretty instantly, pretty quickly, like when you and I met, like if do, do me and this person, do we engage well together? And I'm assuming we engage well together. Like you're interested and I'm interested. Now it's our job to share our stories. And that's, you know, it doesn't always have to be a formal thing at the beginning of a relationship. So you and I met, we talked a little bit, we started sharing our stories and over the course of what the past year or whatever it's been, we keep intersecting and sort of learning a little bit more about each other's stories in a very natural way. And, and it sort of comes to light. And by the way, you know, when someone calls me about something that they are interested in, or do I have perspective on this or could I help them with this? You know, oftentimes the story I'm going to tell is a different story than if they'd asked me a different question, because it's the, I'm going to tell them the most relevant story there is and think about it like this it's it's like a like a touring rock band or a, a touring musician like they have they have their riffs this is a dan sullivan concept they have their riffs like they have their go-to riffs when someone asks them about a certain thing these are your stories these are your anecdotes these are the riffs that fit the the narrative that you need to get across when someone asks you a particular thing because you talk about it all the time and then there are times like right now where i'm going to go to certain riffs that that fit in I'm like, oh, let me tell you a story about this because I know, I know it gets the point across, but there's also going to be you know, time for improvisation, which is what we've done so far. It's just, you know, we, we're going to get to, we're going to get to sort of creatively collaborate together and it's going to be something we probably never talked about before. And so it, just having these ideas, these concepts, a lot of times the constructs makes it less nerve wracking for storytelling because you're like, oh, wait a minute. There are times when it's number one, okay to go back to a story I've told a thousand times. That's just a riff. That's just, you know, that's just the beginning of Stairway to Heaven if you're Led Zeppelin. Like, yes, there, there's that. But then there's also times we're going to have improvisation when, you know, a band, a touring band, a lot of times they might say the same exact thing between songs every night. But there's a time when the audience might be reacting differently. They might have a show on the night where something amazing in the world happened or something terrible in the world happened. And it's then knowing that I, it's okay to go to an improvisation I don't just have to riff here because I've got a different, there's a different emotion, a different experience, a different thing that needs to happen than the normal thing that I do. How do you, how do you know whether or not you're tapping into the right story? I mean, for me, after telling stories for years, especially about my own life, but like you said, I have that go-to bank of stories that, that I know, connect with people um and and also i think when you've been telling stories for a while you get an intuitive sense about whether or not it's connecting people with people but but let's say you don't know if you're a good storyteller or not and and you're not really sure if you're telling the right stories what are some like signs that you can look for to know whether you're on the right track when people lean in, you know, I mean, it's a collective lean in or it's even on the phone, you can sort of hear a lean in mm-hmm. or, you, can, or, or you, you get a response. I mean, you literally, I mean, you're not telling the story for your own sake. You're telling the story for their sake. And so what's the response? And so those moments where you get those responses, those payoffs, you go, okay, I'm tapping into something. And oftentimes, and I'm sure you would agree with this as well. Like it's oftentimes not how, proficiently you tell the story but how how much you're connecting with the person or the audience you're telling the story to and that's gonna you know that's gonna be different in different ways for different things but that's uh that that's the question you're asking you know it's like how how am i connecting and and assuming you are connecting well then you're gonna get response and so again there are and it's funny too because there's you look at like comedians who are some of the best storytellers because that is a that is a true art form. That's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. That whole world is just, I mean, I, I, through James Altucher, he sort of started showing me how he studies comedians and everything and, and just the, the writing and then the, the moments of tension and the payoffs and the, you'll, you'll start to realize that, you know, sometimes you'll get a response. You're like, oh, that was the story they wanted to hear. So you'll take a piece out of the middle. You're like, oh, that's not important. But then the, you won't get the payoff you got from keeping it that way. Or then you take, you know, different riffs and mix them around. And you'll find, you just find what works. And, and I don't have a better answer than, you know, than trial by fire and just doing it to learn what works. You know, okay, what, what resonated, what didn't? And I think uh, you, 
you know, the easiest way I learned that by uh, before I go big with the story and do, do it typically. I mean, the beauty that I have too of like making a documentary, I have like an, out, an ending outcome that I know is going to happen, assuming I do my job right. And so along the way, when I'm making a film, I talk about it to a lot of people and I start to see what, what resonates. So I'm making a film right now about human trafficking in America, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's basically, it's not, in most cases, it's not what you think it is. It's sort of a spectrum. There's a lot of things that happen along the way. But there's one particular thing we're showing in the film, which is every time I talk about it, people say, that's insane. I've never heard of that before. And so I share it now. But we did a segment with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force in San Diego. And they're one of many of these task forces. And they have a dog. And the dog is only trained to smell recorded memory devices. So memory cards, memory sticks, thumb drives, cell phones, hard drives. All this dog does is smell recorded memory devices because that is where people hide child pornography, child rape videos, hmm. uh, all these things. And people are like, wait, a second, wait, what? And I know I've told it enough times that I know that people are fascinated by that. And so I know I'm including that in the movie because every time I tell someone about it, they like, I've never talked to a single person who says, I would expect that or I've heard that before. So that's just one thing I look for. There, people are fascinated, have questions. So I know I'm going to include that. So I mean, that's really interesting because what what you're basically doing is micro testing pieces of this story. By I mean, I guess just whoever you're running across and talking yeah. to during your day to day yep. life. For me, one of the I was actually just talking with James Altucher about this. One of the things I did when I was starting to come up as a writer, so with, with writing a post that you want to go viral, the biggest thing is the headline. The headline matters more than anything. Um, and so I used to brainstorm headlines. And then I lived above a bar. And what I would do is I would go down to the bar, and I don't even drink, but I would go down to the bar and I would start reading the headlines out loud in the bar. And I knew I had the right one when everyone in the bar would stop talking and turn around and look at me. <laughs> That's how I knew. And that was the way I tested the ideas. So in a, to a certain extent, you're testing the ideas for your documentary. Just, I mean, it, I guess more one-on-one -on -one with people as you go throughout your day. But I mean, do you do you consciously do that? Do you consciously go and tell pieces of the story or do you just do it naturally while you're working on something? Just do it naturally. I mean, because I, I I teach my clients too in all sense like, hey, don't again, sort of don't do anything you're not excited about. So I, I tell the stories I'm excited about. I'm like, man, this is check this out. And you know, the cool thing is, I mean, I tell my wife, I'll talk to my parents, I'll talk to my kids, you know, things that are appropriate. I'll talk to my friends, I'll talk to my crew and sort of like for me, I learned again through Dan Sullivan that my, my unique ability is having great conversations. Like if it doesn't start and end with a great conversation, I shouldn't do it. Like writing proposals, not really for me, even writing books or blog posts, not really my thing. Having a great conversation with somebody who does that well, great. And so that's sort of a natural, natural way to micro test for me because I'm excited about the stories I'm telling and I'm constantly talking to the people around me. Some people I talk to once a year, some people I talk to once a day, some people I talk to every couple of weeks at soccer practice with my kids. So I'm constantly just sort of, you know, naturally people are asking me, hey, what are you working on? What are the stories? What's new? And I start telling them and I just start seeing, seeing what resonates. And sometimes I see what's too much, like especially with the human trafficking stuff. I was like, okay, that, even though that's really important, it's like a bit much. Like people can't, I'm, I'm desensitizing myself a little bit because I'm seeing so much of this, but that's probably too much for people to handle. So I should probably back that off in this area or be careful the way I tell it or whatever else. I, I think people are probably surprised by, I mean, I, w w when I, when I look at my own writing and even the example of comedians that you brought up, people are surprised like when someone does a HBO special or whatever, who's a comedian, a lot of times they've been like road testing those jokes. Oh, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. For years. And, and they collect all of the ones that consistently get the most laughs. And that becomes an HBO special. 
Um, yeah, one of the big complaints right now is a lot of guys don't want to go test stuff in a club in Manhattan anymore because they know people are recording. And so they don't like the the joke could really bomb. And then they're, you know, and, and a lot of humor is dark and satirical and taken out of context, especially in this world we're living in, which I'm not at all downplaying, you know, sort of the social, you know, constructs of today. And certainly, I mean, you know, imagine that being abusive to women and children, for that matter, has been evil forever people just got away with it or, or just sort of looked the other way but you know taking out of context a comedian's attempt to discuss a tough topic can be can be suicide for their career if it's taken out of context and recorded on a cell phone or by the same token if they are working up a joke and they get it just right and they nail it and then the next day it's viral you know they by the way, most people won't memorize the joke anyway so it's probably a little bit overreacting but but there's definitely a, a big piece a big movement that comedians are just having a harder time testing jokes because they're having a hard time going to places where it's sort of a true you know uh blue ocean for them to test things out and without it being you know recorded or or people haven't already heard some of this stuff yeah i mean it's i think we're seeing the same thing even on social media a, a lot of writers are afraid just to post anything anymore Huh. Um, just because it could blow up and go viral and you could get in trouble for something you said. I mean, that's why it's funny how many famous bloggers I know have now hired editors whose job is basically to tell them you can't publish this. Huh. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's true for comedians, but I think it may be just a, a symptom of people's level of reactivity to, to, like you said, things being taken out of context or, or even just the experimentation of yes. finding the right way to talk about something. And I think we're in this, we're in this space where in a lot of cases, I think people aren't like, for some reason, this like, uh, you know, Twitter, Twitter gets, seems to get the most talk about this sort of stuff, but just, these outraged people who have 100% fully formed opinions and we're not allowed to experiment with like, I, I don't know what I believe about a lot of things because I don't know enough about it. And I'd love to just, I'd love to have a discussion and hear different sides of it and try to sort of formulate opinion, knowing fully well that my opinion could change later. Like that's like part of the experiment of life. And so, yeah, it seems like, I think in general, one-on-one, -on -one, most people are very accepting of that, but certainly the, uh, because you wouldn't hang out with people who are so dogmatic that you couldn't have a real conversation. But there apparently are droves and droves of them online, or at least the perception of me versus the masses would be that I got to be very careful because there's a lot of these people out there who exist and they're just waiting to make my life miserable. And I wonder if that makes it to where the best storytellers are some of the people who are the most courageous and who care the least when other people get offended. Would you say that's true? Uh, yes, um, definitely, <laughs> definitely is one way to look at it. Because um, I'm just trying to think, I mean, I think one of the things I've noticed about myself, I, I tend to get a little bit less scared than other people. And part of the reason is because, I mean, people are always feeling sorry for, for people in wheelchairs. Um, but the reality is being in a wheelchair also has benefits. And one of those is that you can get away with almost anything. Um, you can get away with saying almost anything and people are, are more likely to forgive it than if you're not in a wheelchair. And so because of that, I think to me, saying things and talking about things and even being extreme or saying something that would get someone else in a lot of trouble doesn't actually get me in trouble. <laughs> and, and because of that, it's probably made me a better storyteller and a better writer than if I weren't. That's, hey, that's part of your story, right? I mean, that's the whole deal. Like, all we can really do is talk from our perspective and our shared perspectives of other people. That's a fascinating, fascinating perspective. I, uh, you know, I, I am always fascinated by how far out there I feel like James, like we talked about before, James Altucher goes too. I feel like he's a pretty courageous storyteller too. And it's, and, and I have stopped to read it 
because it's actually interesting because it's not the same thing I'm going to see on every blog that comes across, you know, or every news, news, uh, newscast or news story. It's something like something real that makes me stop and think. The level of vulnerability he displays is astonishing. Just, I agree. He's, he's, he doesn't hesitate at all to show you the absolute darkest, worst sides of himself. And at the same time, what's, what's interesting is that that doesn't, I mean, it, it turns some people against him, but a lot of people, it just makes them love him even more. Yes. Um, I also think that basically, if I'm looking at it from the outside, it would appear to me that James you know, took a huge risk in being that vulnerable, but clearly the payoff has been so worth it that I, w- I would almost bet he's addicted to that level of vulnerability. Now, it's sort of like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't even talk to people on airplanes most of the time now. I just sit there, put on a headset, put a blindfold on and go to sleep because I'm not looking for shallow conversations. I'm just not. I'm, the depth and the level of the conversations I get to have on a regular basis from behind a camera or on a podcast like this or whatever are, are meaningful conversations that I'm excited to have. I'm not excited to have, I don't know, small talk. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not rude, but I'm not, I'm not looking for small talk. Like I, I don't, I don't need more of that in my life. And I would bet it's the exact same thing for James. Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't even want the reaction from a, a stale blog post. So he's got to keep pushing further and further because he, he's addicted to the response of the connection he gets with, with strangers when he's, when he's vulnerable. I'm going to have to ask James what conversations he has on airplanes. Uh, <laughs> uh, see, <laughs> see what he says. It could be funny. Um, but I mean, I agree, I, I agree with you. Um, so, I mean, from what you've said, we've talked about a few different things here. I mean, one element of good storytelling would be just repetition and refinement of that story over time. Uh, another element of storytelling is, I guess, type of vulnerability, humanness, authenticity. What, how would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of an overused word, but I, I think uh, authenticity does a good job of that and sort of like, you know, not being, uh, I, I don't know, to me, it's being in a place where you are, you're relatable, you know, so that even if your life is not like, I've never been in a wheelchair, you're not, your life is not my life. But to me, the skill of being relatable has paid off in so many, so many ways, I'm sure to you too. But it's like, you know, it, it, you know, if you're, if you're telling a story that is, uh, well, look, if you're trying to convince somebody to do something, I was talking about this like in the music industry, like there, from the time I've been in the industry and as an entertainment attorney at first, all sorts of things, there'd be people who would email me and they would say, I got the best track you've ever heard. It's going to be a number one. It's going to be, this will win a Grammy. This is like, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, think about, I'm, I'm going overboard for the example, but I got all those things basically in different emails and sometimes all of them together. And there's such an unlikelihood that, I mean, at first I used to get excited and listen, but then after this has happened two or three or four or five, or by the 20th time, you're like, oh, just another person who's completely useless who does not at all understand how the world works and who does not at all you'll have any sense of you know connectedness to this industry and what they're trying to do so eventually you just start deleting those because you know they're going to be bad and they're usually some of the worst things you've ever heard because these are just people who are just i don't know narcissists or whatever but you talk about authenticity and being relatable if anyone who would say hey look i've really been working on my craft this is my hundredth song i got this i got that i had whatever and I really would love your opinion to let me know what you think. Like that, that just that level of authenticity and relatability and being realistic. Like I get a ton of the interviews that I get because, I, and again, I think this is instructive and I don't know that many people talk about this, but like I get the interviews a lot of times I get because I know that the person on the other end of the email, whether it's, you know, all these people I interview, whether it's Will I Am or Mark Cuban or Richard Branson or Maria Menounos or whoever, because they don't owe me anything. Like I under, I understand as a human being, there are people who are after them for their time all the time, Tony Robbins, all these people. But if you are authentic and connected in the way you, the way you ask for something, even your response is so much better. Like, Hey, I know you're super busy. 
probably get asked to do this stuff all the time. But here's what I'm working on. I thought you could lend an incredible perspective. I'd love to include you. Here's why it might make sense for you. Just let me know. But just even, and that's like a way of using authenticity and storytelling in like a super, in a way that most everyone uses it one way or another every day. And it doesn't have to be Tony Robbins or it could be trying to get a sales meeting. It could be trying to get a date. I don't know what it is, but just even that level of connectedness to like, oh, wait a second. I'm, I'm reaching out to another human being who is going through their own day. They might have a kid at home with the flu. They might have like, what? like they're a human being. How should I approach them in a way that will relate to them authentically to where I have my best chance of response. How do you do that? I think the, <laughs> the only way is to try to put yourself in their shoes. Like what, if I were them, what would make me respond? Like, okay. So one time um, we, my very first short film I made, it's called Jacob's turn. is a story about a little boy with Down syndrome who plays T-ball. Um, and it's just a short story, seven minutes. Uh, but it was a, a really cool story, and we told it. And I can't think of his name right now, but he's a huge tech blogger that uh, someone told me, hey, he has a son with special needs. You should connect with him. It's like, okay, cool. And so I never would have gotten any connection with this big writer, blogger, you know, influencer before they were influencers uh, or before they're called that. But he responded right away because he was super intrigued and was just very interested in the topic. It just related to him. So, like, what is it that people are interested in and how, how might you align your interests with theirs? I mean, I don't know there's any better, not someone could say more eloquently, but I don't know there's any better way to say it than that if I'm just trying to explain what it is. Like what, what's going on in their mind and their life and what they're doing where they, they, might, re, that they might respond to this and my timing might be just perfect. And, and how much of it is... I mean, so one of the things that I've noticed, and this goes back to what you said on an airplane, that, that you don't want to even talk to anyone on the airplane because the level of discussion is just going to be so low. How much of it is, now one of the things I've noticed just even with this podcast is a big part of the reason why I'm excited to do it is just not to have to have another airplane conversation yeah. with someone that that's a big part of the value to to listen to another person and also to talk about something that's actually important and could actually impact people so i think there's a certain value i mean it at least one of the conclusions i would draw from what you said is to, if you're going to talk to those people, I mean, giving them a chance to tell their story is huge, but also just not having a boring conversation about, about talking about something that's, that's interesting and asking them a question they've maybe never thought about before. That in itself has value. So, I mean, we've talked about all different kinds of things that people can do to get better. When does it, that makes sense though uh, yeah um yeah is is that someone said um the qual it's like the quality of life you're living and the and the just the results you get are directly proportionate to the quality of the questions you're asking and it's like hmm and so a lot of times like um, oh you know naveen jane said it uh do you know naveen at all uh no so naveen is the founder of viome uh, and he also has founded Moon Express. He's got some NASA contracts to go to Mars. And fascinating, fascinating guy. Um, and he's, he basically said, you know, as entrepreneurs, like a lot of times we see a problem, so we go meet the need. But a lot of times we don't realize there's actually a way better question we could be asking, which would, would like eclipse the need for this one solution and would create a whole new marketplace. Or, or he said it really eloquently, and it's going to be the new movie called Dreamer. I'm making right now. It's all about the people who, you know, the world told you to get your head out of the clouds, but those who didn't are the ones who changed the world. And so, yeah, it's like, the, so again, the quality of the questions you're asking dictates the quality of everything in your life. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about all the different ways that you can become a better storyteller, that you can increase the, the level of discussion as well. Um, but when does it make sense to stop trying to tell the story yourself 
and to go get help from a professional storyteller that specializes in a certain medium like you, for example. I mean, look, I think that there are, we're in the media business essentially, right? We're, we create lots of media. We have a book publishing company. We have a, you know, a documentary film company. We have, you know, we have a, a social media film and blogging company, all this stuff. And it's like, you know, by the way, most of those are not my skill sets, but I run across people all the time, for instance, who, who a lot of times we end up publishing books with people who have a great idea, even have a great book. Um, sometimes they have a great idea and need help fleshing it out. So they need a great, great ghostwriter because that's not their skill. Or sometimes even have a great, a great man. They're maybe a really gifted writer, but they, they go to publish their book on like a create space type of place where you can sort of self publish, but their skill set is not knowing what makes a book, you know, design wise, not only credible, but also readable and not like hurt your eyes. All things like there, there's a lot that goes into the technical proficiency of making the medium disappear so that the story stands out. And so I would say that for most people, if you haven't done a lot of that or don't have gifts in those areas where you know how to make the medium disappear so the story stands out, it's probably time to get help in, in one way or another. And you can learn. I mean, look, a lot of the ways I've learned, I've learned a ton about filmmaking from the guys who I hire and the girls who I hire to work on my crews. You know, like I've become a better storyteller because I learned from them because I never thought about a camera angle of this type or an edit like this and what it might what it might really be, what it might be saying stylistically to people if I do it this way. And so um, I, think, I think we all start somewhere and we all have to get them to a level of some sort of sustainability and everything else in order to be able to afford, you know, professionals to help us. But, you know, uh, money buys speed is a favorite quote of mine from Dan Kennedy. So, so I've spent the better part of the last 10 years, made my first film really in 2010 and now it's 2020 as we're having this discussion. And I've told, you know, I've made almost 70 documentaries. It might be over that, but last I counted, it was close to there. And, you know, they were lots of fun, but it's, those are 10 years of experience and, you know, close to 70 stories worth of experience that you can't, you know, I can't find any other way. Um, you know, I can't, I can't get that experience any other way. So could you learn how to do it and spend 10 years of your own doing that? Uh, yes. But, you know, if you want the speed, you know, I, I'm not, there's, I'm not saying there's anybody who I think, uh, couldn't learn these things, but I have a level of experience that most others don't because I've taken the time to do it. So if you want to spend 10 years doing it or some number of years or time to do it, do it, like study that, make it your art form. But if you are out there, most people just need that art form as a vehicle to accomplish what they want to accomplish because their goal is not to be a director or a producer. So look at what is your goal. And, and if your goal is not to be a great book publisher, let's say, or a great, great writer, I mean, not, that might you might want to have that as your skill it's a great skill or a great speaker or great whatever it is you know i would say look at it as is it a vocation i want to or i need to learn or as part of my fabric or is it just a vehicle i need and if it's just a vehicle i need let me let me work with someone who this is what they do so i can i can use it and, keep, and get back to what it is that i do yeah i think if somebody had asked me are you willing to spend 10 years learning how to write a great story, I probably would say yes. Yeah. On, the, uh, on the other hand, I think for most, that, that's an unusual answer. Yeah, I it think, would be no for me. I mean, for if, I, if you said spend 10 years to be an amazing writer, I'd just say, you know, I bet I could find someone who's really good at it, who really loves it because I don't. Yeah. And I mean, and it would be the same for me if someone said, do you, would you be willing to, to spend 10 years becoming a great filmmaker? I would say no. Um, let's go talk to Nick. Because that's what makes the world go. I mean, that's what's beautiful about it. There's people who love accounting. They are. They literally love it. They love making everything work out and equal out on the checks and balances. And like, they literally love it. So find those people. And the big message that I've learned, again, I give Dan Sullivan credit from strategic coaches. There's people who love all the things you don't love. And the way to get bored with life is to feel bogged down by continually doing the things you don't love. Like what if your mission, you're only here for such a short time, just you'll be mission driven, be helpful to other people, but try to get rid of the things that bog you down so that you can operate in your sort of your highest level of function and, and usefulness for humanity. Like makes sense to me. 
but most of us don't think of it that way. We think like, okay, I start a business and like we feel guilty about getting rid of certain things or I don't know. And it, it goes on all levels of different types of people. Like, you know, my wife feels guilty that someone is coming to clean our home. I'm like, but you're helping raise three children. I'm super busy, travel a lot. We need time together. I don't, I don't, when I'm home, you know, and, and by the way, I, I would do, I'm not trying to put any gender roles on this, but this is our roles, my wife and mine. This is how we like to do things. And so if, if she was out earning money, I would think I'd want to stay home and raise our kids just because I think it's important. But that's just our, our methodology of doing things. But, you know, she feels guilty about having someone clean the house when that is not her highest and best use for humanity. And, and in our case, like even the bubble of humanity she's in right now, which is you know, we got a 14-year-old, a 11-year-old, and an 8 that we need to make sure that they are productive citizens in the world. Like they they love it. Like they, they ask if they can do extra stuff. They, I mean, this is what they do. And so we just got to remember, there's all those people who, there's someone always to pick up the slack for the things that you don't enjoy doing. I have to also preface that by saying, you know, in life, not everything you don't like doing means you shouldn't be doing it. Like up to this point, you cannot outsource the reps you need to do at the gym to be healthy or the amount of steps you need to walk a day or the amount of breathing exercise you need to do or meditation, whatever it is. Like sometimes you really don't want to do the work, but you have to. Yeah. I think it goes back to your 10 year question, which I really like, by the way. I mean, if, if somebody had asked me, do you want to write a thousand or 2000 words a day for the next 10 years? I probably would have said not really. Uh, uh, on the other hand, if they ask me, do you want the result of that? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, so therefore, I have to go do the reps. That's a great, a great distinction like we just talked about. Yes, perfect way to put it. Like, do you, do you want the results of that bad enough to put in the work? Because you're going to have to put in the work no matter what. Now, thankfully, I'm sure for you writing, there's certain gifts we have which make our life. Like filmmaking is probably the easiest thing I've ever done in my life yeah. it just seems to just make so much sense to me it's so nice that like huh like one thing in my life i'm not fighting okay thank you god you put, i i thank you you showed me something but but by that same token like i do i want to be fit and i want to not weigh 800 pounds so i make sure i work out every day like and even though i i started out not liking it I, you know i still don't i now do crave sort of the endorphins and some of the other things because after a while that happens but like I know that I have to put in the work because I want the result. I really do want the result of being, you know, I, I went to my daughter's uh, dance class this week. This last week was take your parents to dance week. And I got to go to her class they call acro, which is like basically gymnastics and acrobatics for dancers. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so they, they did all these things and like, you know, there weren't, there, were, you know, a handful of other parents in there and most of them couldn't do any of these things. And like, I got to the point where I asked if you could do a headstand. I'm like, well, I'll try. I was able to do a headstand because I work really hard on, I don't uh -huh. eat too much. So I don't really, I work out more than I look like, which is not good. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but I have it. Like, I want to stay in a place where if my kids want to play, I just turned 40 in January. If my kids want to play a game of tag or paintball or whatever it is that I can still do that because, and it's not because it looked like you have, uh, you have restrictions that I, you know, that I don't have, at least at this point in my life, that there's nothing you can do about it. But I bet you do an awful lot to make sure you retain the faculties that you do have so that they're super strong and, and you can use them. That's the same thing with me. I don't ever want to be the, re I don't want to be the reason why I lost a faculty. And yeah. so I work hard because the result is worth it. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but I probably spend even more time. I probably exercise and stretch for two to three hours a day. Um, yeah, because you have to work harder on it than anybody else. I do. But if I don't do it, the penalties of not doing it are basic, basically total incapacitation, just not being able to function. So, um, so yeah, I do it every day. Love it. Put it in work, man. You got to do the reps cause you, because the outcome is clearly worth it to you. You don't want total incapacitation, which I think is a great – I mean, we've all seen when someone really gets it together, we'll call it, like in life, it's typically when, when the stakes are really high, right? And so, you know, that's, that's one way to make things happen. Yeah. And then a lot of ways that's been a gift. Um, yep. That, that because the stakes are so high, it's actually 
made me probably a more motivated person than I would be if I'd been born and my life were easy. Um, so I'm grateful for all of those challenges. And I'm also grateful for the way it's allowed me to focus on things. I mean, not being able to do things also means it's a whole lot easier to ignore all of the things out there and focus on just the very few things that that you can do. And that that's a gift in itself too. I love it. And, and life to me is, uh, you know, and it's, it's, I love hearing you say that as a, you know, for me, it's some of these conversations and, and opinions are not popular because people say, well, you know, I'm an educated white man in America. Right. So I have, I automatically have a lot of, uh, a lot of bias, which is fair. I do have a fair amount of bias, but I, 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 I can't help but not let go of the idea that, you know, uh, that life is a gift that is, that is the adventure is unwrapping that gift and you know, bitterness and resentment are just a, just will, will slowly strangle you until you have, don't realize that you have no life left in you. And I love the fact to hear someone like you who, you know, most people looking at you would say, man, this guy's got a lot of issues he has to deal with. That must be so tough. That must be. And, and I, and I don't mean to discount that, but that's not the point. The point is that you found the gift in it. And I love the perspective of that because I think, you know, to me, like the ultimate and what I try to infuse in, I mean, just in my life every day in general, but my films, everything else is hope. Like, if there is no hope, then why are we doing this? So how do we add hope to whatever the situation is we've been done? I think that's a beautiful end to this, uh, this wonderful conversation, Nick. I, I really appreciate the chance to talk with you, and I hope everyone gains a lot from this. I mean, we talked a lot about how to become a better storyteller, but we also talked about, you know, there could be... I mean, that someone's big takeaway from this after listening to us talk is, well, geez, I don't want to do everything these guys do, um, which is fine. Go hire someone who does love it, like you said. Um, and I think that's a perfectly good takeaway as well. Agreed, man. I, I enjoyed the beautiful conversation, and uh, I'll look forward to many more. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nick.